welcome to Sandwiched Between the Books, a Sandwich Public Library District podcast where each episode features a bite-sized story of sandwich. My name is Matthew and I'm so glad to be back on the podcast with all of you today. I have a very special guest here at the outset of our podcast who's going to tell us about an awesome service that we're offering to the community before I send you to an interview with our incredible library director, Barbara Posinger. Right now, sitting right in front of me, I have our marketing and outreach coordinator, Jessica. Welcome to the podcast, Jess. Yay! Thank you. I'm so excited, Matt. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. So what do you want to tell our community about? Well, can you believe that we are offering our community the option to renew their license plate stickers now? What? That's amazing! Yes! Yes. Yes. Um, So any Illinois residents who's wishing to renew their license plate stickers may do so here at the library now. That's awesome. Okay, so anyone, it doesn't just have to be anyone in Sandwich, anyone who wants to can come and renew their sticker here. What should they know before they come into the building? Yes, there's just a few things our patrons should know right before coming in, um, and that is to bring their white um, piece of paper, their renewal notice, along with a cash payment. Excellent. Awesome. I'm going to repeat that. A cash payment only. <laughs> okay, cash only. So that uh, square piece of paper you get in the mail that's your renewal notice, bring that. And then, as you said, cash only. So, uh, And that's for a good reason uh, that we want to offer this service to the community. Um, and so we've chosen to do it. Uh, cash only. You want to speak a little bit about that? Yes. Well, um, mainly there's the, the main priority of the Sandwich Public Library was just to offer this great service to the community while offering a smaller fee of yeah. just $5. Okay. Because awesome. we know, yeah. um, yes, credit cards and checks would be more convenient and they would also, but they would also be followed with a higher fee. And that's sure. definitely what we were trying to do. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, cash allows us to keep that fee low. So you'll want to bring in the cash for whatever amount is listed on that uh, sticker renewal card Mm -hmm. that you get in the mail. Bring that plus just $5 and then you can come in, be in and out. Um, Doesn't take very long at all. Less than five minutes, maybe even less than that. Maybe even less than that. But who knew that there'd be this possibility of coming into our library one day for for someone Mm -hmm. or anyone, you know, as long as you're an Illinois resident. To pick their next good read and also walking out of here with a renewed license plate sticker as well. Absolutely. <laughs> That's such a great point. So you can yeah. come in um, if you're already coming to the library a lot, whether you're going to get a book or a movie or an audiobook, or if you're here for an event or a program and you need to renew your sticker, uh, you can go ahead and kill two birds with one stone, as go. they say. And, um, you know, we could probably have your reg- your renewal all finished um, by the time you've checked out your book. So uh, plan to come in and uh, renew with us here at the library if that would be more convenient for you. Yes. And we'll help you beat those long and extensive DMV lines. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. In and out. That's yes. that's great. Well, that's an awesome service uh, for the community. Thank you so much for coming to share about that, Jessica. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, and is if anyone is interested to learn more and ha- or has any questions about the service, uh, they may visit us at www.sandwichpld.org. Yeah, absolutely. So hop on our website and you can see all this information and more. And with all of that being said, I'm going to go ahead and send us over to an interview that I did with our library director, Barb, who is going to be sharing uh, some highlights of her reads from 2021. So without further ado, here's an interview with Barb. Barb, thank you so much for sharing some time with me today to be on the podcast. 
Thank you so much. I'm excited <laughs> to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you who don't know, Barb Posinger is the director at the library here. She came to work at our library in 2015 as the adult services coordinator and then stepped into the role of director um, as interim in September of 2019. And then uh, she did such a good job and no one wanted to let her go. And so uh, in 2020, she became our official director and has been doing that ever since. Yay! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy too. Um, and today, Barb is the perfect person to have on for this conversation because we're going to be talking about the best books of 2021. Yes. And Barb, you read a lot. I read a lot. A rock, yes, a I lot, average lot. probably around between 60 and 70 books a year. Yeah, which which blows my mind. But, you know, <laughs> it's very impressive because I, I don't read that much, um, <laughs> but I'm learning to, to find peace with that. But um, yeah, so I'm excited to hear, um, we're going to look at some New York Times bestseller, look at some Barnes & Noble bestseller, and then the um, piece de resistance will be uh, looking at Barb's top 10 recommendations of 2021. So uh, let's get into it, Barb. You're going to share the uh, New York Times top 10 for 2021. Yeah. So I'm really excited to be here on this podcast because books, as Matt mentioned, are one of my favorite things, my favorite hobbies to do. And I figured what better way to share with all of you book lovers as library users, some of the best books that we've that have come out during last year, 2021. So to start, we're gonna start with the New York Times rated top 10 books of the year. And we'll start with number one. So the first one is How Beautiful We Were by Mbolo Mbue. So this author wrote a book in 2016 you may or may not be familiar with called Behold the Dreamers. And this second novel begins in 1980 in the fictional African village of Kasawa, where representatives from an American oil company have come to meet with the locals, whose children are dying because of the environmental havoc, i.e. fallow fields, poisoned water, wreaked by its drilling and its pipelines. This decades-spanning fable of power and corruption turns out to be something much less clear-cut than the familiar David and Goliath tale of a sociopathic corporation and the lives it steamrolls. So this book seems like it would be very, very um, timely, if yeah. one might say, with the environmental concerns that we're currently going through and bringing in some cultural interests to, to that as well. Yeah. So this is definitely a cultural fiction. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, I highly recommend checking it out at your library. Yeah. yeah. Getting that uh, perspective on a topic other than our own, a different, uh, like you said, cultural context, um, help to see it from a different perspective. And uh, that uh, idea that this takes place over a long period of time, I think also would help to you'd be able to see the the impact there, not just in a single moment, but over, over time. So that's uh, very interesting. Exactly. And just to sidebar a moment, I just want to make sure everybody knows um, these descriptions I did pull from New York Times. So they're not coming directly from me. <laughs> I don't want anybody to think that I've, I know all of these things. Um, I wish I did. 
But just so that everybody knows, this was the descriptions are pulled from the New York Times bestsellers articles. And so I wanted to share them with you so that you know what these books are about. Yeah. And so if you want to check this out for yourself, we'll definitely link to it in the show notes and everything. So you can uh, find this list in and uh, search for them in the library catalog. Exactly. What's number two, Barb? Number two is called Intimacies by Kate Kitamura. This is a literary fictional novel, and it is the fourth written by Kate. So in this novel, an unnamed court translator in The Hague is tasked with intimately vanishing into the voices and stories of war criminals whom she alone can communicate with. Falling meanwhile into a tumultuous entanglement with a man whose marriage may or may not be over for good. This sleek and spare prose elegantly breaks grammatical convention, mirroring the book's concern with the bleeding lines between intimacies, especially between the sincere and the coercive. So like her previous novel, which was called A Separation, intimacy scrutinizes the knowability of those around us, not as an end in itself, but as a lens on grand social issues from gentrification to colonialism to feminism. The path a life cuts through the world, this book seems to say, has its greatest significance in the effect it has on others. Mm. Wow, that sounds amazing. It does. That sounds like there'd be a lot of layers Mm -hmm. and a lot of complex webbing between all of these relationships. Yeah, I I feel like that question of the knowability of the people, even in our own lives, is kind of a troubling question. And so uh, it's interesting. uh, This is, you know, talking about the... um, the the writing style and how it uh, comes at it from a a different perspective. So that, um, that'd be very interesting to uh, hear how, you know, this novel uh, approaches this subject. So yeah, yeah. I'm curious about that. Mm -hmm. Intimacies. Nice. What's next? Number three, the love songs of W.E.B. Du Bois by Honoré Fanone Jeffers. I have no idea if I pronounced that author's name correctly, and I will acknowledge and admit that fact. I hope I did good, and if I did not, I hope the author forgives me. (laughs) But moving on, this novel is historical fiction, and it is the first novel by this author who normally is a celebrated poet. So, yeah. So in this novel, it seems to be many things at once. It's a moving coming-of-age saga, an examination of race, and an excavation of American history. It cuts back and forth between the tale of Ailey Pearl Garfield, a black girl growing up at the end of the 20th century, and the songs of her ancestors, Native Americans and enslaved African Americans who lived through the formation of the United States. As their stories converge, Love Songs creates an unforgettable portrait of black life that reveals how the past still reverberates today. Mm. Wow. Sounds like it would hit pretty hard yeah, in yeah. the emotions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, I, I'm intrigued because you mentioned that the author uh, is known as a poet. And so that sort of poetic language in a novel is, is very intriguing. We read one. Uh, similar to that in style. And so I'd be interested to know um, in book club and I'd be interested to know 
more about this author as a poet and as a novelist. I so, completely agree. Yeah. I feel like authors who are able to transcend these layers of types of writing, mm-hmm. it, it really impacts the reader on a deeper level because it's it's such a unique way to be able to share experiences that strips away any potential bias you might have. It just goes straight to the soul, yeah. you know? So I think like this would be really interesting to read it from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. All right, shall we move on? Absolutely. Number four. Number four. No One is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. This is another literary fiction novel. And turns out Lockwood is also acclaimed as a poet on the internet <laughs> with gloriously inventive and ribald verse. So in a previous memoir called Priest Daddy that she wrote. It was about growing up in rectories around the Midwest, presided over by her gun-loving, guitar-playing father, a Catholic priest she called tweeting an art form, like sculpture or honking the national anthem under your armpit. (laughs) So in this first novel, again called No One Is Talking About This, She distills the pleasures and deprivations of life split between online and flesh and blood interactions, transfiguring the dissonance into art. The result is a book that reads like a poem, at once sublime, profane, intimate, philosophical, hilarious, and eventually deeply moving. Hmm. Interesting. I think um, the... I, I hear the idea that sticks out to me that, that interests me is this um, question about the difference between the online world and what we now have come to call in-person, yes. right? Um, <laughs> yes. The in-person life or the online life. Um, yeah, so that's a, a very timely and interesting um, topic. And um, yeah, so that would be fascinating to hear her perspective on it. I think so too, because when you think about it, Everything, like the life between the internet age and communication virtually versus in person is still pretty new. And it's still something that we're learning to adapt with and navigate through and it's constantly changing. So it's it's very interesting. And I think this is going to be a perspective that might help people transcend those lines a little bit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Number five. Number five. When We Cease to Understand the World by Benjamin Labutut, translated by Adrian Nathan West. This book is, it has a science theme, and it's very interesting because upon researching it myself, <laughs> it turns out that it includes both fact and fictional elements. So huh. this is a combination of a nonfiction and fictional book. Where will we put it on the shelf, Barb? <laughs> that's this is a fascin- new one. Yeah, that's fascinating. It, it really is. Oh, I can't wait to hear more. Yeah, so essentially, La Batute, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, expertly stitches together the stories of the 20th century's greatest thinkers to explore both the ecstasy and agony of scientific breakthroughs their immense gains for society, as well as their steep human costs. His journey to the outermost edges of knowledge, guided by the mathematician Alexander Grothendieck, the physicist Werner Heisenberg, and the chemist Fritz Haber, among others, 
offers glimpses of a universe with limitless potential underlying the observable world, a dark nucleus at the heart of things that some of its witnesses decide is better left alone. This extraordinary hybrid of fiction and nonfiction also provokes the friction of an extended true or false test. The further we read, the blurrier the line gets between fact and fabulism. Mm. Oh, that's very cool. Spicy. I, yeah, it, it is. <laughs> and I know how much you uh, enjoy uh, reading about science. So that one probably has to be on your radar. Um, it, uh, what a fascinating concept that, because, you know, that takes me to, well, historical fiction in a way is fact and fiction because often it'll include historical figures and interactions or conversations with them that are fictional. But here there's, it seems that that's being played with for a thematic reason, like the progression getting blurrier, blurrier and blurrier between those lines. That's, that's very interesting. It is just like what you were saying, how historical fiction, it, it kind of, it kind of starts with the basis of fiction, mm -hmm. but works with a nonfiction element. Yeah. This is the opposite. This is someone taking nonfiction mm -hmm. and pulling in a fictional element. Yeah. And I gotta say that intrigued the heck out of me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Cool. 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 What comes in at number six? Number six, the Copenhagen Trilogy, Childhood, Youth, Dependency, by Tove Ditlevensen, translated by Tina Nunali and Michael Favala-Goldman. This is an autobiography. So in this book, um, let's see, Dit Ditlevsen's gorgeous memoirs, first published in Denmark in the 60s and 70s and collected here in a single volume, detail her hard scrabble upbringing, career path, and merciless addictions. It's a powerful account of the struggle to reconcile art and life. She joined the working ranks at 14, became a renowned poet by her early 20s, and found herself, after two failed marriages, wedded to a psychopathic doctor and hopelessly dependent on opioids by her 30s. Yet, for all of the dramatic twists of her life, these books together project a stunning clarity, humor, and candidness, casting light not just on the world's harsh realities, but on the inexplicable impulses of our secret selves. Wow. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like... Um... A very, very intimate read. Yes. Um, yes. Absolutely. And thinking about it, it seems almost like that would be a fictional novel. Right. But it's an autobiography. This this woman lived these things and yeah. she's sharing them with mm -hmm. the world so that the world can learn something of her story. Yeah. And it's fascinating that this is uh, bringing together stuff that was published, you know, when, when I, I, by the time we got to the end of it, I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is so relevant because she's talking about opioids and stuff like that. And But then you realize this is the stuff that was originally written in the 60s and 70s. Um, that's fascinating. So it would be interesting on that end to see, you know, what maybe from here, uh, first of all, it's in Denmark. So it's a different um, cultural context, but also taking place in a different time. But I feel like uh, that description really makes it sound like it would hit home today, too. I, I must agree. And it also shows how it might seem new, 
But Crazy. these are these are things that people have been experiencing for much longer than mm -hmm. I think we realize. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, take us on to number seven. Number seven. How the word is passed. A reckoning with the history of slavery across America by Clint Smith. I am sure you could tell from the title, this will be a history novel. So for this timely and thought-provoking book, Smith, who is a poet and journalist, toured sites key to the history of slavery and its present-day legacy, including Thomas Jefferson's Monticello, Angola, the, the Louisiana State Penitentiary, and a Confederate cemetery. Interspersing interviews with the tourists, guides, activists, and local historians he meets along the way with close readings of scholarship and poignant personal reflection, Smith holds up a mirror to America's fraught relationship with its past, capturing a potent mixture of good intentions, earnest corrective, willful ignorance, and blatant distortion. Mm. Wow, that sounds like he definitely did his research, and it would be interesting to hear what he found there. I agree. I think like it's very difficult to connect to historical events when you haven't experienced anything about them, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's like fact on paper, and that's yeah. how you learn it. It's hard to to connect and realize that these are people who who lived during these times, and I think books like this where the authors went and actually explored these places where serious events took place mm -hmm. really brings a connection to that that will probably come out in the words of the book. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd be curious to learn some more about that. Yeah, yep, for sure. All right, number eight. Number eight. Invisible Child, Poverty, Survival, and Hope in an American City by Andrea Elliott. This is nonfiction, and it expands on her acclaimed series for the Times about Dasani Coates, a homeless New York schoolgirl and her family. Elliot spent years following her subjects in the daily lives through shelters, schools, courtrooms, and welfare offices. The book she has produced, intimately reported, elegantly written, and suffused with the fierce love and savvy observations of Dasani and her mother, is a searing account of one family's struggle with poverty, homelessness, and addiction in a city and country that have failed to address these issues with efficacy or compassion. Wow. Holy camoly. Yeah, that sounds like a heavy read. Yes. Um, I can see why all of these are on the top 10 lists. Yeah, absolutely. That yeah. sounds powerful, um, but maybe kind of difficult to read. Yeah. Difficult, but I think it would teach us all something. Yep, mm -hmm. for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, what's number nine, Barb? Number ninth. <laughs> I said ninth, but it's <laughs> number nine, and you'll understand why when I read the title, which is On Juneteenth by Annette Gordon-Reed. Annette Gordon-Reed is a new up-and-coming poet whom I'm sure many of you are actually familiar with due to some of her very influential poems she's come out with in the last year. And so this is a book that weaves together history and memoir into a short volume that is insightful, touching, and courageous. Exploring the racial and social complexities of Texas, her home state, Gordon Reed asks readers to step back from the current heated debates and take a more nuanced look at history and the surprises that it can offer. Mm. 
Such a perspective comes easy to her because she was a part of history, the first black child to integrate her East Texas school. Mm. On several occasions, she found herself shunned by whites and blacks alike, learning at an early age that breaking the color line can be threatening to both races. Mm. Another so, heavy hitter. Yeah. And so this is, a, it's a book of poetry. Is that right? I believe it is a book yeah. of poetry. Yes. Wow. And I know that this one's very, very short. You could probably okay. read it and very easily in one sitting. Okay. Um, but it's, it is a memoir. It is a non-fictional account, okay. um, but just written with a poetic verse. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. That, um, that really intrigues me. Uh, and I think I think that one's going to have to go on my to-read list. Yeah. That sounds really, 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 really good. All right, me too. Me too. All right, the last of the New York Times uh, top-rated is... Number 10, Red Comet, The Short Life and Blazing Art of Sylvia Plath by Heather Clark. This is a biography novel. I keep saying biography novel, but it's a biography book. <laughs> It's daring to undertake a new biography of Plath, whose life and death by suicide at 30 in 1963 have been thoroughly picked over by scholars. Yet this meticulously researched and, at more than 1,000 pages, unexpectedly riveting portrait is a monumental achievement. Determined to rescue the poet from posthumous caricature as a doomed madwoman, and reposition her as one of the most important American writers of the 20th century. Clark, a professor of poetry in England, delivers a transporting account of a rare literary talent and the familial and intellectual milieu that both thwarted and encouraged her, enlivened throughout by quotations from Plath's letters, diaries, poetry, and prose. Whoa. Yes. I, you can see uh, uh, because of my mask, but my, when you said <laughs> a thousand pages, my jaw dropped. I know. Um, that's that's monumental. Um, wow. Uh, but I'm sure you would have a great, uh, much greater understanding of her by the time you read that. Yes. And I think it's so important to read biographies of people that you're interested in learning more about Mm -hmm. that are written from different perspectives, different authors, because they see things from a different angle. So you're learning things that may not be represented Mm -hmm. in other novels that you've read by them. So it's definitely exploratory. And I just got to say, I really respect Heather Clark for attempting this idea to completely reimagine this life Mm -hmm. of this very very important character of our history, you know, and I think looking at it from a, looking at Sylvia Plath's life from a new light might be a very interesting way to begin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, very good. Uh, I definitely have learned about some books I didn't know about. So Barb, thank you for sharing the uh, list from the New York times. And uh, next up you're going to share just briefly here, list off uh, some some top notable books from uh, Barnes and Noble. Tell us a little bit about this. Yes. So I wanted to go in depth about the New York Times book because they they kind of span the nation. They focus very, like everybody goes to them for the reviews for the top books of the year, which is why I wanted to spend more time on them. So we're not going to go into depth about the descriptions and synopses of these next novels, but I felt like it was important to share best-selling books that are from a notable organization, 
Barnes, Barnes and Noble, excuse me. And we are going to collect all different genre, genre novels. So cool. yeah, so these are going to be the best-selling genre picks of 2021 from Barnes and Noble. Cool. So the top science and nature book was Codebreaker by Walter Isaacson. Oh, yeah. he's He did the biography on Steve Jobs. Is that right? Yeah. I believe so. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah. Awesome. The top-selling book on personal growth is How Not to Die Alone by Logan Uri. <laughs> Always good. Yeah. The top biography, Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. Top history, the 1619 Project by Nicole Hannah-Jones. Top science fiction fantasy, A Marvelous Light by Freya. Top romance, People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. Top mystery and thriller, The Man Who Died Twice by Richard Osman. And the top fiction, The Lincoln Highway by Amor Towles. Awesome. Yeah. So there's some other great uh, options for people who are looking for uh, a way to catch up on some books from 2021. Exactly. So, yes. And now we come to the main event. <laughs> um, I'm so excited, Barb, to hear your top 10 list of what you read in 2010. And, um, 2010? Oh, Ooh, that's a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. That's not, that's not good. Uh, I'm worried about myself. Um <laughs> 20, how about let's try 2021. There we Does go. Does that sound better? That yeah. sounds pretty good. Awesome. So let's stick, let's stick with that, 2021. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, Barb, tell us about the first book you want to highlight from 2021. Sure. But before we start, I just want to oh, mention yeah. that I that not all of these may have been published in 2021. They may have been published in 2020. They are all newer books that came out in the last couple of years, but these are ones, these are my top favorites that I've read in 2021. Okay, cool. But there's none from 2010. (laughs) uh, No, you never know. I don't know. I don't remember what I read back then. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. 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 All right. So the first book on this list is called The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gornizek. Now, this is a fantasy novel, and it is one of the best I've read. It definitely it takes um, Greek and Roman gods Ooh. and brings it into a new world that's kind of full of magic, but ultimately and eventually turns into kind of what we perceive huh. as what our world is. Yeah. But it follows this character named Angraboda, who is so old that she doesn't even remember who she is or where she came from. And she comes up with this name on her own. And she's traversing through life. And, you know, the wrath of the Roman gods (laughs) and the Greek gods is very well known in history. And eventually they didn't really like Angraboda and took her, like they stabbed her and did all sorts of bad things to her and removed her heart. And eventually, she was given her heart back by none other than Loki, the god of mischief. So this is definitely a fun book. Yeah. And it takes you on journeys I don't think you would anticipate going on. But it is very, it was exceptionally well written. I could not put it down to save my life. Is this the first one you've read of that author? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. How did you hear about it? Oh, well, I just, 
I look at books all the oh, time, yeah. <laughs> and I'm on Goodreads and reading reviews everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And fantasy is one of my favorite genres to read, and this yeah. one was like top acclaimed fantasy novel okay. coming out. And so, of course, I had to add it to my list. Cool. If if maybe I don't read a lot of fantasy, which mm-hmm. happens to be true, is this a good place to start? Or is this something you would maybe recommend for people who are already kind of knee, de- knee deep in fantasy? I think you could comfortably start here, but I would recommend going in with the mindset that this is fantasy. So okay. it's going to be like, meaning, meaning like it's going to be a different experience than you're used to with yeah. reading. So as long as you're able to keep an open mind yeah. about like how the structure might be different or how the voice might be different and the things that these characters are experiencing are going to sure. be different, then I think you'd be fine. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I... I love the premise of what that character, Agraboda. Agraboda. That's a fascinating premise. Um, So she she, uh, definitely has me interested. I hope you read it. If you do, come back and talk to (laughs) me. Oh, absolutely. What's next? So next is Through the Woods by Emily Carroll. Now, this is a graphic novel, Mm. which I don't... Whoever knows me knows I read just about everything, the graphic novels included. So this one was one that I was reading at the end of last year when I wanted to reach my Goodreads goal of how many books I needed to read in a year. And I needed something a little shorter because I was stripped on time. And what better way to do that than experience a lovely graphic novel? And this one... I'm not sure I'd use lovely to describe it because it is a horror-themed graphic novel, but it is so beautiful, beautifully written and beautifully illustrated. It is very spooky, and it kind of has a Red Riding Hood feel and theme. So if you're interested in trying out graphic novels and you enjoy kind of getting spooked, a little bit. <laughs> I would recommend this one. Great. Sure. Awesome. Um, so who's the main character in that? Oh, it follows a family of three sisters. Okay. And they're going in the woods and trying to get home to their ne- father. It's never going to go well. It's never going to go never well go in the woods at night. No, no, no. no. Don't go in there. I know. And then eventually they're, they start to realize that they're getting stalked by this beast. Mm-hmm. And, of course, a storm's coming through, a big snowstorm, so it's not like they can leave easily to go get help. And their dad goes out to go see if he can figure things out, and he never returns. Mm-hmm. And then, one by one, the sisters start to go missing Mm. start to act a little funny and then they disappear okay so kind of mystery almost Mm. too a little bit Um, yeah interesting through the woods by emily carroll okay great great what's uh, what's your number three Piranesi by Susanna Clark. So this one I've been wanting to read for a while. It is relatively short so if you're looking for something kind of quick this is a good one to pick it is a fantasy element, but I would label it more as a mystery. Um, so if you're like not really into fantasy, but you love mysteries, this would I would still recommend it. I still cool. think you would really enjoy it. It follows this character who is in this, this strange, I don't even know what to call it because it's not quite a building, but it, it's not quite architecture or a warehouse or anything like that. It just goes on forever. Mm. It's kind of like a labyrinth. 
is mm -hmm. I guess is a good word to say. And each room holds something different, but he's all by himself. He's all by himself except for one person who comes and goes, who he believes is his friend. Hmm. And so you follow Piranesi through this story and slowly but surely more clues start to come around and he starts to ask more questions about his circumstances and then a whole development takes place <laughs> that might strike your fancy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, it sounds like you'd be very much in his head and um, kind of getting to know that character very well. Yes, it is written from his perspective. Oh, okay, cool. So what he knows, you know, and you know nothing else. And it can get frustrating at times because... If you, you know, as a reader, you might not make the same decisions that this person yeah. is making. And you're like, why didn't you do this? You should have done this and helped yourself. And But it's, it's so interesting to follow kind of the breadcrumbs and experience this story as this character. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. 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 What's number four for you, Barb? Number four, Billy Summers by Stephen King. It wouldn't be Barb if Stephen King were on the list. <laughs> no. I love Stephen King. I read all of his new books, and I'm working my way through all of his old ones. He is one of my favorite, favorite authors of all time, if not my very favorite author. I'm, I'm still battling with that one. But um, I think a lot of people recognize Stephen King as a horror author, which mm -hmm. he does excel at. But this book is not horror. Billy Summers is definitely a thriller, I would label it as. And it follows this main character named Billy Summers, who he's kind of like someone off the grid who does bad things and then grows a conscience okay. <laughs> and yep. wants to stop doing that and then wants to turn his life around and do something good. Mm -hmm. And he is found, he finds himself in a position where he's able to do that. And he starts, there's a, a girl who gets in a little bit of trouble and she's she gets hurt and he comes to her aid and helps her out and then there's this whole other mystery surrounding things where billy's old company that he worked for wants him to do one final job you know and he says no i don't want to do it and they say yes you should do it because yeah. it's really good and it's going to be the best paying job in the world hint Never trust anybody who says this will be the best paying job in the world. Just don't do it. Um, and then so the story progresses with those elements in line. And for those people who have never read Stephen King before, one of my favorite parts about his writing is that all of his stories take place in, in its own kind of multiverse. And uh -huh. so all of his books hold Easter eggs that incorporate one of his previous novels somewhere cool. else cool. and so there is an easter egg in oh. billy Summers. so if you like stephen king <laughs> you might find it you might That's notice it and if great. you don't pay attention when you read this and yeah. so your next one you might you might find something that's very exciting um, I, I've started Billy Summers <gasps> yes. and, um, so yeah, it's, uh, I, I can, I can agree that it, it's very, very good. And, uh, Barb, did you know that they announced that it's going to become a show? No. But yes. Yeah, oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> did not know that. Live on air. Yeah. She finds out. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm yeah. so excited. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I'm sure there will be some, 
uh, you know, uh, TV edition tie-ins coming out soon. So if you want to be uh, ahead of your friends, uh, read it now here. Barb recommended it first. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's very exciting. Um Awesome. Glad glad uh, he, he made the cut for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, What's know. number five? Number five is Once There Were Wolves by Charlotte McConaughey. And this is a contemporary mystery. Mm. And so this book follows a main character, a woman whose name escapes me right now. I read this one a while ago. Um, but she... It's very clear when you're introduced to her that she lived through some sort of trauma. Mm. And so she kind of has grown up into this woman who isolates herself a little bit more, but has put all of her time and energy and emotion into a job of saving the population of wolves because wolves are becoming an endangered species and so she works as and not not an activist but she works in the industry to you know purposefully find wolves try to breed them and help them release comfortably into the wild as best as pot as they possibly can even though they have a hand in it and so that's kind of where the story starts and as it goes more of the mystery behind what happened to her and the reasons why she is the way she is come out. Mm -hmm. And again, this is a first-person narrative like the other one. Oh, great. So you know as much as she's willing to share at that moment. So it's sure. like you're not all knowing about her life, but as she comes to terms with what happened to her and her family, she starts to come out and you learn. You as the reader learn more information as it goes. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not what I expected when I started reading it, but whoa, it, it hits you really hard. It, it's, it's a book where it's very easy to connect and care about the characters. It's very good character development by this author and you still get that mystery element. So there is a problem to solve. Yeah. So at the whole time you're meeting these characters and experiencing these things and the author kind of leads you one way and then another way, and you've got to try to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, that sounds uh, very, very engaging. Yes. Cool. cool. I like it a lot. How about number six? Number six, Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Moore. Muir. Uh, this is science fiction, and I know that is not a lot of people's cup of tea, <laughs> and that's okay. But for those who do really enjoy science fiction, I highly, highly recommend this book. Oh my gosh, I could not get enough of Gideon. Yes, Gideon is, is the person, is the main character of the story. And it takes place in a universe where you can, there's multi-planets. And there is this kind of, I don't know, like organization of nine different planets. And each one kind of has a hierarchy. And the ninth is the last one. So the poorest one, you know, like the, the one that has the toughest lives. And so Gideon comes from the ninth, the ninth mm -hmm. planet. But then she, oh, I love this story. So she is kind of like, like the bodyguard of another character named Harrow the ninth, who is her, was her friend, is her, I don't know right now. Um, companion, but she Gideon essentially protects Harrow, but they definitely had a fight and a falling out, so they're not super friends oh. when this book starts. 
and um, Harrow is like the princess of the ninth planet. And so there's something that's happening where a member of the royal family and their bodyguard all have to go to a specific planet. So like like the, a member of the royal family, their bodyguard from each of these planets. Uh. So of all the nine planets, they all have to go to this one place. And something's supposed to be happening there. Yeah. But then while they're there... Certain certain things start happening. <laughs> um, some not really super great things, and sometimes people die, and more mysteries to be solved, of course. And it's just such a fun, crazy, compelling world. Yeah. So if you love like experiencing new worlds and and learning more, like different different kind of interpretive cultures if you like star wars or anything like that i definitely would recommend this series and yeah i said the word it's a series (laughs) so gideon the ninth is book one the second one is harrow the ninth that is out and the third and final i believe book of the series is going to be called electo the ninth and that's supposed to be published this year i hope that published date stays yeah because i am very ready for some more of this story um, I know you read Dune last year. I did. And um, I, I have not read Dune. I would love to have read Dune. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'll ever be brave enough to try. Um, uh, obviously, I love the movie. Um, how, how does it compare to Dune? Is it similar? Um, it's funnier. It's there, funnier. Okay. There is so much quirk and humor in this story. You'll just like a serious thing will be happening and all of a sudden Gideon will crack this ridiculous joke and you'll just find yourself laughing out loud <laughs> maniacally while you're reading this story. And so I definitely feel like I love Dune. I thought it was great, but Dune definitely focused more on, you know, the plot. Yeah. And like this big this big political event and problem um, happening and this new messiah almost mm-hmm. that's growing up mm-hmm. and coming into his own role. And this book is more quirky but still violent okay. mystery. Okay. And so it's it's very different. It, and uh, is it uh, how how is how long is it? <laughs> it's long. Okay, it's long. <laughs> it's it, long. it is long. Okay, but it's e- it's an easy read. Okay, it's like it's not complicated. It's not layered. It's definitely like honestly, they could probably make this into a movie very easily. Yeah. Hey, all of you people out there, the screenwriters yeah. <laughs> listening to this podcast, you should write this as a, as a series. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. That I loved the description that you gave and. So I think that's uh, that one's going to have to be added to my list too because yes. um, that that sounds very very fun. So that uh, is like the best thing that I could ever hear is when a friend of mine listens to a book that I've read that I really loved and it interests them enough. Yeah. to want to put it on their list. Absolutely. What's your number seven? Number seven, seven. Ironic. <laughs> seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. This is an historical fiction. And it is the story of a reporter that is hired to go report on the life of this very prime, pristine movie star of Hollywood. Like, I would compare it to Meryl Streep, you know? Like, if you you were the reporter that got to go 
interview yeah. Meryl Streep for her biography. Yeah. Like that would be a big deal. And what's interesting about this is is Evelyn Hugo refused to let any writer, any other writer, write anything about her history. Huh. She would refuse to do it. So this is like a big deal that this one particular reporter was chosen to write this story. And so the book kind of goes back and forth between present while the reporter and Evelyn are having their conversations and diving into the story that Evelyn is telling. And I'll tell you, it's a very intense perspective. Like one of the reasons I put this on this list was because it's really a good novel to help you understand how things may look to people but how they can be so different in real life when it's happening to you. Mm -hmm. You know, how manipulated the media can be about what they're presenting you on the lives of people and the stories that they tell you. And so getting this perspective from Evelyn, you know, you you learn just how that could happen. So it answers those questions we're all asking, you know, in in real life. Mm So that's that's one of the reasons I loved this book so much. Cool. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Sounds yeah. very uh, very engaging. What's your number eight? Number eight, The House in the, in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. This is such a feel-good novel. Oh, oh my gosh. It is. It's adorable. It, I would... It's fantasy technically because it's it's the story about this orphanage that houses kids that have interesting ailments, we'll say, quote unquote, (laughs) but they're actually monsters. So like you have a big blob as one of them. And then you have a, you know, you could have, oh, who was another one? Um, A fairy could be one. And then you have little Lucy, who is the Antichrist (laughs) that is in there, uh, but just as a little boy. And so like, it's, it's the story about these little kids who end up at this organization or not organization or orphanage that is run by these two, these two men. And as, as well as another, another fairy, actually female. So it, it's kind of a metaphor for a lot of cultural differences that people may have where you know it's very easy to to like think you're understanding what people are going through and what their life is like based off of certain elements but how in reality it could be a little different or how we hurt people without realizing that we hurt them and not Mm -hmm. maybe not intending to hurt them but it can because we don't understand and so this book kind of explores that using this this structure, mm. a fantasy structure, but it's such a feel like I know all of that sounds super deep <laughs> and complicated and, and kind of, um, what's the word? Like confrontational. What's yeah, the word I'm yeah. looking for? Yeah. Um, and, but, but it ultimately is such a, just such a feel good story oh, and awesome. I loved it. I loved it so much. Cool. I listened to it too. So if you like audiobooks, highly yes. recommend the audio. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's always great to know it's going to be a good narrator. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Cool. What's number nine for you? Number nine is Outlawed by Anna North. This is a historical fiction book about women growing up in the old Southwest, like during the times of cowboys and yes, which the years escape me on that and they (laughs) shouldn't, but they do. 
Um, but just imagine the old style Southwest with cowboys and sheriffs and all that, yeah. all those goings ons mm -hmm. and how this focuses on the female story of mm. what the worth of women ultimately mm -hmm. was and how essentially in order to be worth anything as a woman, you had to be able to bear children because mm -hmm. extending the line was the only thing that that society during those times really cared for and valued. Mm -hmm. And so it's following the story of this one woman who happens to be infertile. Mm -hmm. And so she gets married and has this life, wonderful life, but then she can't get pregnant. And as that's happening, her place in society and her place in her family all start changing. And so then she, she starts to become something sinister mm -hmm. almost mm -hmm. and gets booted out from her, from her place. But then she ultimately finds a home in this band of outlaws out in the desert oh, wow. who are all gathering up there. And it's all people who have experienced not the same, but similar kinds of things mm -hmm. where something out of their control caused them to lose a place in their life and their society. Mm -hmm. And so they had to build something new from scratch there. So they find, they find like their, their group, their yeah. home. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds uh, very interesting. And, you know, as kind of making a connection here between that and the two that preceded it. So Seven Husbands, House in Cerulean Sea, and Outlawed all kind of sound like they're challenging the way we perceive people and perceive people's roles in the world and um, the and the lenses we use to look at people and assign value and words. So that's, that's interesting. I, I'm seeing... Kind of those thematic connections. So Matt, you put that so flawlessly. Like that was such a beautiful oh. <laughs> way to perceive that. Like you, you used words that I couldn't come up with, but you're com completely correct. And to be totally honest, unintentional. That was completely unintentional. But apparently, <laughs> I like books that have that theme. Yeah, yeah. That no, challenge that's, perspective. That's great. I, I think it's a it's a good uh, thing to be thinking about. So, yeah. all right. What is your number ten? Your last book on your uh, uh, top ten of 2022 reads. My last one is Plain Bad Heroines by Emily M. Danforth. This is definitely a horror novel. <laughs> it is a spooker. Uh, it follows these three girls, um, and they all come together to be part of this project, a movie project, that is going to be like a, like a representation of a home where a series of really unfortunate things happened. Mm -hmm. This is not a series of unfortunate events. I realized <laughs> how that could have sounded. Um, but it essentially is there. The, this, there's this group of three girls who are coming together to make a movie about a story on things that actually happened at this house in real life. So as they're going to this house to make this film, really strange things start to happen mm. that kind of mix past and present almost. Mm. And um, you, as you're reading, you get both perspectives. So you get like the present perspective of what's happening with these, these girls who are playing the roles of number two perspective, the girls that this actually happened to. Uh. So you get both of those perspectives in parallel mm. as you're reading this story. 
Interesting. It's intense. <laughs> and it gets scary. Huh? It gets scary. Okay. It's really difficult to get scared when you're reading a book, yeah, right? Because yeah. so much of, of horror elements are jump scares mm-hmm. and like things you don't expect yeah. coming out at you. It's, yeah. it's a lot of visual. Yeah. It's hard to get that when you're reading a book at your own pace in your yeah. own voice. Mm-hmm. This one does it. Wow. <laughs> this, I will never forget it. When I read, I play it like a movie in yeah. my head. Yeah, yeah. And there is a scene that happens in this book that I will, I can remember crisp and clear as <laughs> if I read it yesterday. It's so, oh my gosh, it's so disquieting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds uh, intense but fun. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Good awesome. Good way to describe it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your top 10 reads of 2021. We will definitely have um, all three of these lists, the New York Times, Barnes & Noble, and our very own director, Barbara Posinger. We'll have her top 10 list as well listed in our show notes. Um, But, Barb, thank you again for coming and uh, uh, sharing your lists with us. Thank you so much, too. And and if any of you listening want to give any of these books a try and you like them or you hate them and you have feelings, (laughs) please come talk to me about it. I'm so curious to hear everyone else's thoughts thoughts whether they're good bad i don't care i want to hear how it hit you yeah and so please come talk to me yeah i'd love it absolutely and if you want to share your top 10 books of 2021 feel free to uh come in and talk to us about them or you can post on facebook um or uh, share this episode and and uh, share your list along with it so we look forward to hearing from you all Uh, again barb thank you for for these recommendations thank you so much fun 